me, I'm back. <laughs> so before we jump into episode two, season one recap, I wanted to explain a thing or two about the road so far. Outwardly, a very short road, but inwardly, it's been a journey. <laughs> um, so the way this podcast, The Brainchild, was born uh, was out of my need to revisit Vanderpump Rules from the beginning. This was before season 10 was even announced and I was definitely missing them and ready to just hang out with the pumpers once again. (laughs) And I was really looking for a podcast that I could follow along with my rewatch and I didn't find one that specifically catered to my need and I was talking to my friend about it and he said well why don't you do it and I said why don't we do it together (laughs) seemed like a great idea at the time except the fucker decided to fall in love and he no longer had time for me honestly couldn't be happier but very inconvenient for my personal agenda So I couldn't just let this idea die. And I thought, why don't I embrace my inner Beyonce and just become a solo artist? That is why the next couple of episodes you will be hearing is going to be just me. But ultimately, I had to face the truth and that it takes a certain type of early onset schizophrenia to just be monologuing by yourself. (laughs) So maybe I am not a Sasha Fierce and coach put me back into Destiny's Child. And by then season 10 was already announced and it came rather quickly so I thought no one's going to be doing a rewatch while the new season is airing anyway, so let's just put a cap on it and revisit the idea after. Well, we all know that Scandal broke, and I was like, damn. (laughs) Uh, Fortunately for me, though, I had a friend who was down to clown, and that's who you met on the pilot recap before this Nicole so she will be back uh if you don't want to hear my solo thoughts go ahead and skip on over to I believe it's episode six and that's where she comes right back in and we pick up where we left off um it's also why in the next couple of episodes you're gonna be hearing a few topical references. I think at the time of my recording is when Miami and Salt Lake were airing and I do talk a little bit about that up top on a few recaps. So yeah, if I'm not enough, I totally don't blame you. (laughs) Go ahead and fast forward to episode 6 or maybe dive right into our scandal episodes of course that is still the moment and me and nicole have a two-hour recap of the finale and the culture around 
the show and everything that was happening when the scandal first broke up until the reunion started to air. So that's a fun one. And since the next four solo episodes were recorded pre-season 10 and Scandal, you won't hear any mention of that, nor is it a factor in my POV. I believe I talk about Tom being a really good guy or a good friend or something along those lines. (laughs) Gosh, what a fall from grace. Am I right? And finally, just to also reiterate what I introed in the teaser is this isn't going to be a strictly Vanderpump Rules or even a Bravo podcast. Obviously, that heavily factors in and we did start with the rewatch of the show, but we'll be exploring all sorts of socially toxic dynamics wherever we can spot them. So that's it as far as the podcast, but let's switch gears. What has been going on lately? Well, I finally finished Succession. I actually wasn't even going to watch the season finale. So when I do a rewatch, I would have a little treat to look forward to. But after learning of an impending Doomsday episode of Logan's death, I felt like I had to, and I'm glad I did because it was both traumatizing and liberating for personal relatability reasons. I um, also lost someone close to me and it was an over-the-phone death experience and their portrayal of it was too real. There's almost a comedic element to it when you can't seem to get confirmation And you're just like edging towards true grief, but without uh, 100% certainty, you can't let it wash over you. And it's like, well, are they or aren't they? Spoiler alert. But I guess I'm satisfied with the ending because I'm so easily influenced by someone's hotness. And Alexander Skarsgård has been my number one since, I guess, since Eric on True Blood. Oh my god. (laughs) Remember True Blood and what a shit show that was? I still have Bad Things, the opening credits theme song, on a lot of my playlists. Oh my god, that show, what a time to be alive. My little baby brain couldn't handle going from the cute, fairly innocent, by comparison, CW's Vampire Diaries, to True Blood. That's when I became a woman. (laughs) LOL. (laughs) I mean, those deep south vampire orgies. (laughs) Wait, how did I arrive at Vampire's? See, this is why I need a co-host, someone to keep me in line. <laughs> Let's see, Vampires, True Blood, Alexander, Skarsgård, oh, Succession. <laughs> yeah, I am not disappointed. I was really dreading if they were going to leave it so open-ended, 
but they didn't. I guess I'm still just a little bit sad for my baby boy or <laughs> baby girl, Kendall. I wanted him to take the ball because I think he needed it most. So he can just be miserable in a controlled environment for the rest of his life. Misery seems to be his natural waking state. Uh, the birthday episode showed that he's fairly joyless human being so for him it's better the devil he knows of having to slave away for this company as opposed to just being on a coke bender <laughs> killing unsuspecting caterers side note they threw in that he's possibly been a part of other deaths or killings and i can't believe they didn't just exploit that further <laughs> it was almost like a detail they threw in at the end when it could have really been a shocking plot twist and i think his final scene was pretty ominous of the chronic despair setting in the actor though hot <laughs> i watched a whole segment with him and vandy fair and he is christian bale level of intense okay i'm already craving a rewatch but i guess i'm just gonna bank it for when i go through my own depression moment so i can spend some time with my friends again <laughs> my billionaire friends on private jets it's just such a good show there hasn't been one like this in so long I'm literally like hanging on every word of dialogue and I still feel like I'm missing so much. Um, I know it's been described as a show about people talking in rooms, but I love the shows that are more character driven than storyline driven. And in this one, I really loved every single character equally. <laughs> But, okay, so speaking of Vanity Fair, so Caroline Calloway is back, baby. <laughs> and upon seeing the article, I was like, she did it. She finally did it. She wrote the book she's been talking about since 2019, literally before the pandemic. But plot twist. <laughs> no, she actually didn't. Shocking. But she's close, you guys. This article was interesting because the author seemed like she really did show up in really good faith. But by the end, she sort of just ended up trolling Callaway. She talks about the fact that Caroline lives in a retirement community and describes her as sort of a cross between Grey Gardens and Alice in Wonderland character, both in style and presence. Um, the quote is, She has an armful of cat, stuffed, I think, at first, only realizing my error when it slow blinks at me before turning away in feline disdain. A ribbon ties back her long hair, brown though somehow not somehow giving the impression of fairness, blondness. 
Her clothes are plain yet stylish, oversized white Oxford, fitted blue shorts, blue flats. How you know she's Caroline Calloway and not Alice in Wonderland? Her press-on nails, long and painted, a different theme for each nail. The theme for her thumbnail, a fiery car crash. Calloway is a writer, but one better known for what she hasn't written than what she has. Can you believe that? <laughs> Half a mil book deal and still known for not having written a book. <laughs> How is she paying off the advance? By doing cerebral softcore porn on OnlyFans, baby. <laughs> I'm not gonna explain it's exactly what you think it is. Or maybe not. <laughs> Just subscribe to her if you need to know is all I'll say about that. <laughs> Considering she took over her grandmother's apartment after her passing, she describes her living situation as musty-fusty old lady, the furnishings, the fixtures, the smell. I guess that's still an upgrade from her alleged illegally sublet studio in West Village, seeing pictures of which truly traumatized my brain. I am a minimalist, and that was my version of pure hell. I say allegedly, but Caroline explained her reasoning with the rent predicament. At a certain point, I realized I could either live luxuriously or pay my rent. <laughs> I guess I can't help but respect her assigning value to things that matter to her over things that matter to most adults with responsibilities. Been there, done that, learned some things along the way. Mostly that at the end of the day, banks don't give out loans to go party like a princess. Uh, the author of the article also notes, matter-of-factly, seeing two bottles of prescription pills and her current reading material, which is Adrena Patridge's From the Hills, PewDiePie's book, and none other than Stasi Schroeder's. So this is what Caroline had to say about getting a book deal, spending the advance, and producing no book. I'm often reductive about myself in a jokey way, like, oh, 40 grand to party. But it was an opportunity. I didn't know when we'd see again the white-hot molten center of what school in downtown New York, embracing cancel culture in the ways that it did in the summer of 2021. It was a pop culture lunar eclipse that I wanted to take advantage of. I've created a brand out of thin air. I'm a business. But banks don't see me that way. Nothing but writing a book could ever make me a writer, but being there with the right people in the right places, having the right conversations, could make me in a much better position culturally for when my book did come out. And being there took money. I want to be an it girl. It girls are startups, and startups need funding. Um, okay, I guess you say it girl, I say delusions of grandeur. I mean, a statement like this would have been more meaningful and interesting if in the end she did produce a book or anything successful. Like, put something out, girl. 
if you don't want to write a book, I don't know, start a podcast. <laughs> but she couldn't even keep up with her social media. She ended up shutting it down. It's kind of both funny and ironic that she became known as a grifter when she wasn't grifting in the literal sense of the word. She just took on a persona of a grifter with so many vague aspirations and false promises that have accumulated to uh, not much. Even the author says, My unofficial reaction to her stories, however, is rapture. Not the stories she writes, the ones about castles, gowns, garden parties, and impossibly handsome young men, all bucking for the title of Prince Charming, which are silly shit and kid stuff and old-fashioned. The stories she tells, the ones about engagement rates, hashtags, clout farming, and Times Square, about making it in America in the first quarter of the 21st century, which are serious shit and grown-up and wildly empathetically contemporary. I 100% agree with that. The interesting thing would technically be the way she was able to game the Instagram algorithm and gain vast popularity being one of the earliest influencers just by being herself and sharing her life and her detailed instagram captions you think there's some nugget of genius like she had the foresight to utilize instagram early on and its potential to turn average college party girls into a whole brand as opposed to just be an app for sharing photos of your meals and friends, which we were all doing, but most of us really couldn't put two and two together. And those who could are now created an entire new sector of business out of it. But maybe she can't really speak on that because... Essentially, what we learn in the article is that she admits to grifting her way into insta-infamy as well. It wasn't an organic growth from people liking her content originally. Caroline admits to sinking a ton of money buying likes and followers, so by the time real people were discovering her, she already appeared as someone, which... Maybe a calculated genius in its own way. So what ended up happening is the real hustler and a go-getter ended up being her roommate, Natalie Beach. Not sure why we're not getting an article on her because she sounds a lot more interesting and cutthroat. I mean, according to Caroline, they barely talked. So this bitch, observed from afar watched Callaway sinking time, money, and energy into building an online presence and just swooped in and capitalized on that herself, writing sensationalized expose for the cut, claiming to have been the brains behind Caroline the whole time. I mean, she made a really calculated move, probably from making a correct prediction that Caroline wasn't actually capable of pulling trig, and capitalizing on her moment herself, or maybe because she admitted she's the one who introduced Calloway to drugs, which sent her into an addiction spiral. <laughs> like I said, this bitch is cutthroat. I mean, the balls on that chick. 
And now I guess Beach is the one who actually has a book coming out this June called Adult Drama. Love it. I may have to pick up a copy. But back to Caroline. This is how she describes handling the fallout from the cut article. The first night, I didn't do anything. I just tried to sit with my feelings. Guess what? Didn't work. Next night, absolute bender. I drank two bottles of wine. I'm super hungry. So I just start hitting up Hinge for someone who'll take me out for what I refer to in my mind as a scamburger. I basically ask everyone on Hinge if they've tried hamburgers at this one spot where the hamburgers are like $20. Not a cheap hamburger, but I'm not kept up at night for making them spend 20 bucks on me. It's a good moral medium, so I find someone, a guy in a polka dot shirt. He tries to go home with me, but I'm not feeling it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hook up with a girl. I've never hooked up with a girl, but I'm just going to go find a girl at a bar and take her home. And do you know what I do instead? I take home a guy who looks like Henry VIII. (laughs) Same belly, same beard, same haircut. Hooking up with a girl almost felt like a treat, and this felt like punishment. So... This sort of character trope is the reason I wanted to talk about the article because it really reminded me of, and this is going to be such a deep cut back to maybe 2009 when Twitter had first started. There were these parody accounts, party girl problems, pretty girl problems, sorority girl problems, And one that went especially viral, White Girl Problems. The account tweeted as Babe Walker, very satirical, often risque, but always very sharp and witty quotes that echoed the behavior of an archetypal, thin, fashionable, rich socialite. Think uh, Paris Hilton meets Olivia Palermo, and you got to read all their private thoughts. So eventually, with the popularity of the account, I'm pretty sure Babe Rosé was based on that, still in stores today. And a book came out, written completely under the pseudonym of Babe. But, um, side note... If you don't know who it actually was, uh, I won't spoil the fun, but look it up. You might be pleasantly surprised to see your favorite name, (laughs) assuming if you're listening to this podcast, that is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so in White Girl Problems, there is this crazy chapter. (laughs) I mean, all chapters were a little bit crazy, but this one especially where after a breakup with her boyfriend, Babe ends up kind of going off the rails, turning to Tinder and finding dates to take her out to eat and buy her drinks. So she gets drunk and ditches them to end up partying at nightclubs in the VIP and um, ends up like making out and going home with a hot DJ only to wake up in the morning and realize that 
the DJ is actually a girl, so she has this insane gay panic freak out. And this kind of batshit crazy behavior felt very reminiscent of what Caroline is trying to convey in outlining her spiral. I guess I'm pointing out these similarities in tone because I wouldn't be surprised now that as a collective, millennials are experiencing deep nostalgia for the early odds. Could Caroline Calloway be attempting at capitalizing on just that? by reviving and parodying every 30-year-old girl's favorite parody figure, (laughs) white girl probs. If I called it, you heard it here first. (laughs) So, okay, let's see. Um, Then the author of the article goes on to detail her plans and dreams and sort of just like calls her out on never completing any of them calling her a con artist, and mentions a Reddit thread that was dedicated to tracking her progress, highlighting that Caroline (laughs) blamed the holdups variously on a bunch of shit, including her solidarity with BLM. (laughs) She literally could not write a book because she was too busy... I don't know, posting a black square to her already deleted Instagram? Or perhaps engaging in a little bit of rioting? (laughs) So, after recalling a different Zoom interview to which Callaway showed up too high on shrooms and unable to coherently answer questions, the writer of the article describes her as She can be sweet and funny and charming, yet she has no respect for boundaries, personal or professional. And I mean, spot the lie. I remember when she went on a book review podcast, Celebrity Memoir Book Club, after they covered Lena Dunham's book and did not talk positively of it. Because I guess Dunham had bought the rights to Callaway's life story, as mentioned in this Vanity Fair article as well. In some misguided manner, Caroline took offense to the Celebrity Memoir Book Club episode and went on their pod in an attempt to defend Lena. (laughs) I vaguely remember listening to that episode completely harrowed by what a shit show it was. The two hosts of Book Club are comedians, so they're incredibly sharp, witty, and thoughtful, and Callaway just could not meet them on that level intellectually, so she resorted to strawmaning her way through it and making very bizarre, passive-aggressive attacks. It was insane and shocking, and... After some backlash from the listeners, who I think felt as though the girls didn't defend themselves enough against Caroline's poor attempts at discrediting them, they released a uh, a follow-up or maybe an unedited longer version on their Patreon, where it was very apparent that they took the I can't argue with crazy approach and basically backed off, giving Caroline all the rope in the world to hang herself. 
or rather, I don't know, expose herself to be pretty and articulate, obtuse, socially unaware, with complete disregard for professional and personal boundaries under a veneer of charm and niceness. So, I guess from loosely following Caroline's two public controversies, Hearing her on that pod and this article, my thoughts on her is that the author hits the nail on the head when she says, she needs one more, more than anybody I've ever met. That's kind of a read. I don't buy the whole Callaway is a writer, a new kind of writer, a writer who'll never finish a book because to finish a book is to kill the story. And a book is already a dead thing since it can't change. But digital media allows for an ongoing interactive story. And maybe that's the future and Callaway's it. I guess she's just one of those people with all these plans, goals, and aspirations. But they always need more. More time. Money. I don't know, for the sun to rise in the west and set in the east, always have an excuse why something's always delaying them, and I mean, I get it, trust me. (laughs) I'll be honest, I felt like that about this podcast. I already talked about my delay of going wide with it sooner because of the co-host situation and attempted solo journey which you'll be hearing in the next four episodes. (laughs) But all those things are such a cope, because no matter how many small steps I took in the right direction, ultimately, without putting out some version of the finished product, you will never receive the credit or the validation. So I felt like a total fraud on a rare occasion mentioning it, or when looking for guests or co-hosts, nobody's going to take you seriously until you can produce something tangible. You're essentially just another person with an idea. So yeah, Caroline, babe, you have got to pull Trig. <laughs> you already got the book deal. All you had to do was write a book. It didn't even have to be a good book. We clearly see so many celebrities putting out these total cash grab biographies. Just the ability to strike while the iron is hot and meet a few deadlines and fulfill contracts with very minor work ethic, that's the edge Natalie Beach had over Callaway, despite Callaway being the attraction. Her other mistake was probably just aspiring to be seen as a writer rather than acknowledging that perhaps she's more of a performance artist, (laughs) a performance con artist, as some haters would say, given her making false promises but ultimately having an, an ability to deliver. For some reason, I think solely on optics, it looks so much worse than, say, the likes of Sofia Emma Russo, who ran an entire empire into the ground solely because she was able to capitalize on the moment without having developed a set of skills necessary to sustain it. 
basically a complete opposite of Caroline, where Caroline's been given chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity, solely based on vague ideas and aspirations, while Sophia actually had no aspirations to start an entire fashion empire. She thrifted articles of clothing and sold them on eBay, and the business took off, and she capitalized on the momentum and pivoted accordingly until she found herself running a multi-million dollar company. (laughs) And even though it ended pretty badly due to her lack of experience, she still remains as fairly highly regarded figure solely because of her ability to make fast moves and produce. Essentially, that's the root of why Caroline isn't winning herself any more public favor, but has been titled a grifter and a fraud. The writer of the article concludes that she clearly has like one story to tell, and that is her own, and she can't even do that. Or to do a little succession callback, Logan would have said, Caroline is not a serious person. The good news, though, is that none other than the sick fuck genius extraordinaire himself, Ryan Murphy, apparently has the rights to Natalie Beach's The Cut article, and I would love to see his adaptation of it. I think we're due for some cool, sinister girl, drama-based series like Screen Queens was. But my ultimate favorite, though, will forever be the assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh my god, that is a yearly rewatch based on the book Vulgar Favors. What Murphy did, truly supreme. The casting, the cinematography, the chronology of storytelling, everything. If you somehow missed this and the need of a good binge watch, a hundred out of ten recommend. If you're in a place of needing to be utterly shocked, scandalized, tormented, and bewildered, I mean... When I watch, I cry, I laugh, and cannot believe my eyes. It's an incredible piece of high art. (laughs) Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, Caroline Calloway not being the serious person, or even a threatening one for that matter. A negative connotation that comes with being labeled a scammer or a con artist. The author of Vanity Fair article concludes that she is neither of those things because she just authentically too incompetent to even do the actual girl bossery to pull off any large format meaningful con, like her fellow socialites slash criminals, Anna Delvey and Elizabeth Holmes. And The article, the author kind of ends up making weak attempts at crediting Caroline, but then she ends it with praising Natalie Beach for her work ethic, commitment, and actual talent of having a specific writing voice, at which point, honestly, if I was Caroline, I would be in a fetal position weeping reading this about myself. (laughs) Brutal.
But let's move on to another man of the hour. And of the New Yorker spotlight is none other than Maddie Healy. <laughs> By the way, I'll um, include the credits and the links to both articles I'm referencing in the show notes. So don't hold it against me, but I am not a Swifty. I'm not a fan of her or her music. Never been. I'm more of a Lana, Britney, Shakira girl. But I did recently become more intrigued by the fandom surrounding Taylor Swift and the lore of the Gaylor and Swift Grand rumors. <laughs> so peripherally, I caught when the fandom is in an uproar because of her association with Maddie Healy. But it wasn't until a couple of days ago I found out why. <laughs> And that's because apparently they dug up a podcast he went on, The Come Town, one of my faves, and I guess said some racist shit. <laughs> I am dying laughing, picturing Swifties discovering Come Town. <laughs> I mean, there should be like some sort of a PSA, like stay away, this isn't for you, <laughs> because that would actually break some of their brains, or I don't know, maybe radicalize a few, but it gets worse. <laughs> so the racist comment Maddie made, oh my god. He was talking about the type of porn he watches, and he said something like, it was ghetto gaggers porn. <laughs> I'm not brave enough to actually look up what it is. I don't know. Does anybody know? Oh my god. But... I actually kind of love the idea of Taylor Swift, the most energetically asexual figure, is now boning a guy whose proclivity is towards something called ghetto gaggers. <laughs> Honestly, God bless girl, get you freak on, and I hope she's enjoying herself. <laughs> And another fun thing that came out about Maddie Healy is that there was a post on Reddit by a girl who says, I've banged Maddie Healy. He lasted for five minutes, smoked all my weed, and then spent an hour talking about how deep his music is and it's going to change the world. And Maddie himself is a verified user and commented on it saying, Huge, if true. <laughs> and apparently on stage, Maddie likes to take his shirt off and eat raw meat, drink alcohol, and simulate masturbation while clips of Ben Shapiro are playing in the background. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Ben Shapiro cannot catch a break. That nasally dork is constantly finding himself in the middle of the most whacked out situations. <laughs> but I'm trying to think, does this endear me to Maddie Healy? Like, would I be entertained? 
Because as far as concerts, I mean, I'm a pop girly. I've seen like every pop star ever that's come through Vegas. I've seen Britney eight times, not to brag. Last show I went to was actually Dua Lipa and I love the glitz, the glamour, the outfit changes. So I don't know. But my favorite rock band is Vegas Locals, Imagine Dragons, and the lead singer is notorious for taking his shirt off on stage. So I'm like trying to put myself in that place of being at an Imagine Dragons concert, enjoying the vibes and the music, and suddenly the lead singer is shirtless, started eating raw meat and humping things and doing like a Nazi salute. (laughs) Which, by the way, Maddie Healy is also alleged of doing. Would I be completely harrowed? Or would I think it's the most hilarious thing ever? (laughs) TBD on that. But I feel like maybe if Taylor Swift's aging out of being a trad pop star and pivoting to being a rock girly, and acquiring this edge by being with Maddie Healy, maybe she should explore some raw meat eating and masturbation on stage. (laughs) Could you imagine? I might have to become a Swifty at that point. (laughs) Oh wow, this was supposed to be a quick bonus episode, and it actually went on for... Far too long, honestly, to be monologuing by myself yet again. <laughs> but that's it for now. Bye bye. Bye bye.